Welcome to the Kind Parenting Company podcast. I'm Jackie Ward. And I'm Kylie Camps. Join us as we explore topics and share evidence-based information, all while honoring our commitment to kind parenting practices. This is a safe space for conversation and reflections on parenting and motherhood, designed to best support you in raising your little loves and to be the parent you want to be. We are so excited that you're here. Let's jump into today's episode. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode, which is a solo chat where I'll be sharing four tips to help you prepare for the fourth trimester. It's funny though, because when I was, you know, reflecting and making some notes for this episode, it actually occurred to me that these tips that I'm going to share and chat about in the context of the postpartum period, so, you know, that time after you have a baby, they're actually kind of good tips for life generally. So if you are done having babies or not yet at that point of your life, it's still worthwhile listening in because really these are things that can be applied to regular life as well. Now, for those who perhaps aren't familiar with the terminology or the phrase the fourth trimester, let me start there. This is really just a term that's used to refer to the 12-week period that immediately follows childbirth. So just like we have three trimesters of pregnancy, the fourth trimester is recognised as a distinct time period um, in the life of babies and their mothers because really it's a time of massive adjustment, both for the baby, who is, of course, getting used to life outside the womb, but also for mums as they transition into this new role of being a parent. Anyone who has ever had a baby or known somebody who's had a baby will have a fairly good idea or at least some indication of just how intense this time period can be. Human babies are developmentally um, kind of immature, I guess, at birth, especially when we compare them to other animals that are able to get up and walk or even some animals can fend for themselves within hours of being born. If you think about tiny little baby turtles, um, they hatch out of their eggs in the nest and literally within hours are making their way down to the ocean. You know, that's something that they intuitively do um, without any parental guidance necessarily. Human bubbies, however, can't even support their own neck for the first few months of life and, and definitely aren't independently mobile until much longer than that. So, you know, there are, of course, biological and um, evolutionary reasons for this, which I won't go into today. I'm just pointing this out to highlight the fact that a human baby is so completely dependent on its caregivers during that postpartum or newborn time that it means those early weeks and months even can be pretty demanding. 
So for those of you who don't know my story, um, I am a mum myself to three little ones who are seven, five, and almost two as I record this episode. So I've been through this experience of having a newborn three times over now, um, and each time was dramatically different from the other. Thankfully, each one has actually been, you know, so much better than the one that came before. After having a pretty tough time the first time around, which I'm going to share the details of in today's chat, I became really determined to avoid that kind of experience again or make it better for myself. And so through reading and talking to other mums, I fell in love with the Eastern tradition of postpartum confinement. I'll be sharing a little bit more about this today and talking about how I was able to integrate elements of this into my own life and specifically into my own fourth trimesters. Hopefully, if it resonates with you, you'll be able to do the same. Hindsight really is a beautiful thing, though, and it's only now that I'm at the point of my life that I am, you know, two years postpartum from what will most likely be my last pregnancy and birth, that I can really put my head up and catch a breath and reflect on those experiences and the individual differences, I suppose, between the different um, fourth trimesters that I had. Regardless of how your pregnancy unfolded or what kind of birth you had, those initial 12 weeks with your newborn are so consuming and so fragile and at times full of amazing emotions and other times can just be downright challenging. It's kind of impossible to have any clarity while you're in it. It's more like you're just paddling along getting through. So my hope for this episode is that through sharing all that I learned through three very different experiences, I can impart some of the lessons learned and in turn help you prepare for the very best fourth trimester experience that you could wish for. Okay, so let's jump into these tips. The first tip is to manage your expectations. So we all experience life through a lens or a filter even of our own beliefs and interpretations. That's just a fact. That's human nature. From the moment we are born, we are on the receiving end of messaging from from the people in our life um, and wider social and cultural influences too, and we are continually processing all of this incoming information, often unconsciously because it is so rapid and so intense. And what we're doing is organising it all in our own minds which ultimately serves to set up a filter for how we view and interact with the world. So because of this, it's likely that you will go into your own fourth trimester with some preconceived ideas about what that time should look like, uh, what you should be feeling, what you should be doing, um, yeah, how, how it will all play out. This could be based on what you saw or what you perceived that you saw in how a close girlfriend experienced this time or perhaps how the media has influenced your view around what a typical, and I'm using air quotes, typical postpartum period is like for women. Maybe your own mum has talked about her experiences and how she, you know, experienced this time when she had you. There are potentially thousands of sources of influence that all kind of come together to create this filter, these expectations that we have. It's really important to be aware that 
by and large, Western culture is like smitten with this idea of bouncing back, whether that's physically. So you can think about all the get your pre-baby body back type programs and messaging that we see. Um, And even though really too, on just a really practical level, women are often expected to return to their pre-baby lives and work or their lifestyle, their day-to-day responsibilities in very short time periods. And really, this fails to acknowledge the massive changes, the physical, the emotional, the relational, and for some, the spiritual changes that occur as a result of growing and birthing a baby. Another really prominent cultural message that exists is that all women are naturally maternal and that they'll slip into this role of being mum gracefully and seamlessly and immediately after giving birth. Mother's instinct is something that's talked about a lot. And while for some they find that they are in tune with this, that is the experience, you know, for some. For many others, it just isn't the case. Either they don't bond immediately with their baby or the transition from woman to mother takes a little bit longer to navigate and that's okay. But the expectation from society is that it should be joyful and immediate and this can be really problematic and leave new mums potentially open to feeling shame or guilt or less than in some way. So when I share this tip of managing your expectations about the fourth trimester period, I'm really just suggesting that you get curious and I suppose super conscious about calling out any pre-existing ideas that you might have about how this time will be for you, how it will look, how it will feel, how it will otherwise play out, and then honestly question whether that's realistic. If it's possible and you're listening to this at the right time, this can be a really good thought exercise to do before you find yourself in the thick of things because it can be hard to, to find that clarity when you're in it. In my own experience, um, the postpartum period I had following the birth of my first baby, so that was seven years ago now, um, was really, really challenging, if I'm honest. And I think a big part of that came from the completely unrealistic expectations that I carried for myself and for him too, if I'm honest. When I look back, I can see that I was intensely preoccupied with appearing like I had everything under control and that I was thriving in my role as a new mum. I had this expectation of myself that I should be able to handle things on my own, which made me very hard to help, I can see now. Um, And I also expected a lot from my baby. I had internalised this idea of the good baby Um, And the good baby being one whose mum had it all under control and meaning that this good baby would be settled and calm and content. And that was a direct result of me and my skills and my ability to meet his needs. In reality, though, my little guy had reflux, um, so he was very unsettled. He was a chronic catnapper and also what my paediatrician called a happy chucker. So he would projectile vomit multiple times a day, every day. I have this memory of being in Westfield when he was a few months old 
and I was walking along and carrying him sort of up on my shoulder. And when I turned around, I had this trail of like spit up or vomit all the way behind me that I hadn't even realised that he was doing while I walked along. I felt like his grisly, unsettled nature was my fault, but really it was an expectation problem. Some babies, especially those that have reflux or colic, are naturally unsettled and and grisly in their nature. And accepting this, knowing that it's not forever and putting steps in place, I suppose, to make it manageable, a key and a big part of that comes down to managing your own expectations. So when I look back at during this time, I was unable to breastfeed, so I was pumping or attempting to pump, not very successfully, um, and bottle feed around the clock as we feed, you know, with newborns while also experiencing some pretty significant postpartum anxiety and mothering a fussy reflux baby, all while recovering from a cesarean. So while my husband, my family and my friends all wanted to be there for me and they offered help constantly, I had internalised the message that I should be capable of doing everything myself. And so instead of that, um, so not instead, sorry, while, so I insisted on that and then when I wasn't able to, because let's face it, no one can do it all themselves, I became really disheartened. Fortunately, I was able to see the pressure that these unrealistic expectations put both on me and my baby, and I was able to manage them far better for my second and third. Overall, this made for a time that was so much more enjoyable and, yeah, happy when I look back, and that was for everyone. When I understood that newborn babies are fussy, that they want to be held all of the time and don't necessarily follow a predetermined routine like clockwork every day, I was able to have the grace both with my baby and with myself and it took all the pressure off. So that's the first one, managing expectations. The second tip I have is to assemble your A-team. So by now, everybody has heard the phrase, it takes a village, which I think, of course, is a really, really good thing. I love this concept and I think it's a really, really important idea for us to to accept. But for this tip to be the second tip of assembling your A-team, for it to be truly valuable, we need to go beyond the expression, you know, thinking, oh, that's a nice idea, and consciously work to build up and assemble our support crew. So it's this support crew that I'm talking about when I talk about an A-team. Now, everyone's situation is going to be different and that's okay. Some might have a big family or be very close to their own mum or sister, whereas others may not have family around and instead may rely on, you know, the family that they've built out of close friendships. If you're someone who has a small friendship circle or who is raising a baby as a single parent, part of your A-team might consist of professionals that you bring in to help you during this time, which is often a beautiful addition too because of the different dynamic that they are able to bring. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
So a little earlier in this chat, I briefly mentioned the Eastern tradition of postpartum confinement, which is something that I became so fascinated with after having my first baby and going through the challenges that I mentioned already. I can't even actually remember how I first came across it, but it was like a rabbit hole once I did. I became obsessed with finding as much about out about it as I could. I lost myself in books on the subjects, I Googled, I DM'd people on Instagram who were talking about it. I just really wanted to know all I could. What I'm talking about, I suppose I should explain, is this traditional custom that's adopted in many parts of Asia, um, in parts of Europe and also Latin America, I think, where after birth, mum and baby go into this homemade, home base period of confinement for a certain period and it depends where you're based but it can range anywhere from one month to 40 days right up to 100 days I think in some cultures. Now despite reading a lot I'm definitely not the expert on the individual cultural customs um, so I'm just going to speak generally about this but the idea is that these cultures they recognize that this time is essential for healing and adjustment for mum and baby. So during this period of confinement, as it's called, they the mum and the baby, they don't go out into society, they don't go out visiting or to, you know, the shops or anything like that. They stay home um, away from the busyness of life and, yeah, face, focus basically on resting and healing. Visitors typically don't come and see the baby. Um, instead, they come to the home and they leave parcels of food or gifts of nurturing for the mother at the house or they'll come and clean or something at the house um, and the, the individual mother's family or members of the wider community, they also take it in turns cooking for her and nurturing her with wellness rituals and basically just take all responsibilities off her plate so that she can focus on healing and bonding with her baby and looking after her baby and restoring herself after childbirth. So in these cultures, this sacred time, you know, it's not considered like a nice-to-have thing. It's considered essential. If mothers are to recover from birth and pregnancy and create a solid foundation to bond with their baby and tackle the demands of motherhood, it is essential. It recognises that a new mum is as vulnerable as her baby and that having this time, the belief is that it will keep future illnesses and even depression at bay. So I absolutely love this concept. Can you sort of see why I started to really fall in love with it? So if this interests you too, if this is sort of piquing your interest, um, let me recommend an amazing book. It's called The First 40 Days and it's written by Heng Wu. That's O-U. Heng is a first-generation Chinese-American who wrote this incredible book to share the customs and insights of postpartum confinement that she learned from her own family of Chinese medicine healers, I think they were. So in this book, she's kind of adapted what she calls the old ways um, and she's adapted them for our modern world and it's this gorgeous um, like coffee table book that goes through the rituals and the customs but also offers um, amazing healing recipes and wellness recipes as well. It's so beautiful. I actually gift all of this, I'm sorry, gift this book to all of my pregnant girlfriends now because, you know, forget what to expect when you're expecting, this is the book that you want to be reading when you're pregnant. 
Anyway, I love this custom so much. And so when I had my last baby two years ago, I knew I wanted to adopt elements of it for myself. It wasn't realistic to think that I could just tap out of life for 90, 40, or even really seven days ultimately when I got home. You know, at that time, I had a husband who worked outside of the home and two little boys to look after. I remember my eldest was starting school within the month after me having my baby girl and my middle guy was starting preschool. So there was a lot happening in our family at that time and and they needed me too. So it wasn't possible just to to tap out as much as that seemed like a really nice option some days. Um, But I recognised that there were ways I could get creative about cherry-picking elements of the rituals and bringing them into this time for myself. And I guess that's what I'm gently suggesting that you can do too. So just to share some of the things specifically that I did, um, I had my dad cook some of the healing recipes from the First 40 Days book and bring them into the hospital so that I could be having these beautiful soups and broths rather than the standard hospital food because a big part of the food component of this confinement period is that you should always be having warm, um, lots of warm, liquid, sort of mushy type foods because that's how the the female body needs that to heal. Anyway, so that was one thing I did. Uh, Another thing I did was that I cooked a stack of food myself and had it all in the freezer ready to go when I got home. So I basically had a month's worth of lunches and dinners ready to go so that that wasn't something I was trying to do at the end of a a long day. Um, I also would ask my family, so my sister, my mom, my sister-in-law, to come and pick up the boys and take them to the park sometimes so that I could just have some one-on-one time with my baby. And then probably my favourite element that I adopted from this traditional custom was that um, in the book they talk about this really beautiful evening ritual that I took on and it's really there to mark the end of the day because in that, you know, fourth trimester there's a, a habit or there's a way that it kind of plays out that your days and nights kind of roll into one big time period because you're feeding around the clock and settling around the clock. Day and night can kind of blend into one if you're not conscious of it. So there was this gorgeous ritual with a cacao and, you know, a whole lot of things um, that was really to mark the end of a day. And I absolutely loved that too. So the key with this tip is to look at the people in your life, at who's, who's around you, who's part of your story and involve them in your care by building up what I call an A-team, but basically like a support crew of people who can support you. And, you know, this is kind of related to my third tip, so we'll move on to that. And the third tip is to understand what you need and put in place a plan to have those needs met. So for this tip, I'm talking specifically about your needs as an individual, separate from your baby's needs or even your needs as part of a family unit that's welcoming a new bubby. I'm talking about just you. I recently listened to a podcast episode, which I can't actually now remember on the spot for the life of me which one it was. But anyway, I do remember that the episode was called Closed Mouths Don't Get Fed. And I'll share it. I'll find it, remember it, and I'll link it in the show notes. But yeah, the episode was called Closed Mouths Don't Get Fed. It was the first time I'd heard this expression and it really has stuck with me ever since. 
what they were talking about, of course, is the fact that if you want something, you're probably going to have to speak up. Mums, oh, sorry, people can't always intuit what it is that mums need and new mums need. I think the truth is many people really want to help a new mum and, you know, people are naturally attracted to babies and they want to be part of that experience, but sometimes they just need to be shown how. So you don't need to have all this mapped out prior to your fourth trimester. Maybe you'll have some idea of what you need, but, you know, it's natural to expect that your needs will shift and evolve as you go along. It's just something to be conscious about. For some of us, this doesn't really come naturally, though, and that's okay, speaking up about what we need. Um, If you are one of those people that finds this challenging, my advice would be to start small. Maybe it's just asking someone to hold your baby while you eat. And that's a classic example because sometimes people think, oh, no, the mum's happy holding her baby. She wants to be snuggling and holding them close. But sometimes mums just need a little break, someone else to hold the baby while they shower or eat their food at the table without sort of juggling baby on, on their hip. So that's one thing. Another really easy thing is to ask someone to get you a glass of water every time you're feeding. You're sitting down. It's hard to get up and do that yourself. And these are really small examples, of course, and I'm, I'm advocating for larger things that, you know, calling out that you need. But the idea is that once you get in the habit of vocalising your needs, the momentum will kind of build. One of the best decisions I've made in my entire life, I think, was speaking up about my need for extra support during the fourth trimester after I had my third baby. Now, I'm super lucky in that I have all of my family close by that I'm really close with. Um, I'm also very close to my parents and sister-in-law and they live within 15 minutes. So while I had all of this beautiful support, I also recognised that I needed more intense support for that first period, especially when my husband returned to work and I was adjusting to just being home by myself with my three little ones. So what I actually did was hire a postpartum doula who came to my house in the mornings for three hours to support me. She would arrive like this little angel at the door while I was sleep deprived and in my PJs and um, having been up all night with the baby and she would arrive with a healthy, nourishing breakfast for me. She would then hold my baby while I had a shower. She'd play with the boys or give them breakfast, get them dressed for the day and she would leave with dinner made for our whole family in the fridge. She would generally Um, bring that with her pre-prepared or she would cook it here and and leave it in the fridge so we just had to reheat it. She was also a really beautiful source of emotional support for me and she became a whole a friend sort of to our whole family and we still stay in touch now and on Instagram. Now I don't take for granted for a second that this is an incredible privilege to have someone come you know to the home and help me like this. However the truth is that I sacrificed other things and I saved and planned for this support throughout my whole pregnancy because I knew that it was going to be so integral for my own well-being. So of course everyone's needs are different. Um, I have a girlfriend who finds great solace and support in going to the gym you know, physical exercise for her own well-being. So as soon as she got that six weeks clearance, she was prioritising that into her days. Another one of our friends, she hates cooking (laughs) and food prep. So she made a roster for, for our close group of friends and we would all take it in turns dropping off dinner once a week for her family in those first few months. 
So these are just individual examples. And I think really this third suggestion is just a gentle reminder that you really need to advocate and speak up about what it is that you need. One of my mentors, Dr. Sophie Brock, I remember she said something, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she said something like, for mothers, if mothers are steering the ship, so if they go down, the whole ship goes down with them. And not that you need a reason to, you know, make sure you can steer the ship. Other people don't need to be your reason. You are enough. But I love this analogy because I think it's so true. You know, when mum is well and happy and feeling good, it makes the benefits of that flow on to other people as well. I think so often we put ourselves at the bottom of the pile and it's only when we reach breaking point or experience feelings of depression or anger and resentment that we feel inclined to speak up about what we need. And so a far more effective approach is to be proactive about it so that you don't reach that rock bottom place. Okay, so moving on, my fourth and final tip that I wanted to share today is to know the value of rest and recovery. This one is deceptively simple, but don't don't click off, don't tune out now, stay with me because um, I think it's worthy of unpacking a little more. Now, you might be one of those people who already know the value of slowing down, you know, of stepping off that metaphorical treadmill uh, to rest and take stock of things in life. Maybe you thrive with downtime and so you, you have these pockets of time set up in your life in which case you probably can skip forward. But for the rest of you, for many of us, and I'll put my hand up here too, this doesn't come naturally, or at least it isn't our first instinct. Many of us, often subconsciously, we link our value or our worth to our productivity. We get a thrill from ticking off the to-do list and, you know, we feel satisfied when we can reflect on what we've achieved in a day. And if that's sounding a little more relatable to you, it's possible that the pace of postpartum life, that it's probably going to take some adjusting to. In this period, babies are round the clock demanding, which leaves very little time for much else. You know, you can class your day as productive if you just manage to have a shower and wash your hair. Despite knowing this, it's not uncommon to fall into the trap of becoming frustrated or of feeling like you should be doing more. So this final tip is about recognising the huge importance of rest and recovery at this time, of leaning into it and almost dropping the rope on our need to do and instead to just focus on being. In her book, Heng, who talks about the Western or the way in Western culture we underestimate the need for rest and recovery. She doesn't actually uh, use the word postpartum confinement. She instead calls this um, custom a postpartum retreat, which I think more accurately represents what new mums need. You know, we don't need to be cut off or locked away from society, but sort of nestled in and supported by those around us in in practising self-care and finding the space to rest and be with our baby. To do this though, and to do this effectively, we really need to reorient our beliefs around the value of productivity and instead accept that during this time, during the fourth trimester, it's really just about recovering and looking after our baby and that is enough. It's more than enough. And so that brings me to the end of the tips that I wanted to share today. So as I mentioned, these ideas, so to recap, of managing expectations, of building up a gun support team around you, 
of deliberately planning to have your needs met and of valuing rest and downtime. I've spoken about them today in the context of planning for the fourth trimester, but I really think there's value in applying these things um, to our life beyond that too. I really hope that this information has been helpful and has given you one or even a couple of things that you can think about integrating into your own life. If you know someone who might benefit from this, we would love for you to forward them the link so that they can listen in. And as always, please screenshot and tag us on Instagram wherever you are listening into this podcast because seeing that and hearing your feedback truly means so much. Thanks for joining me and listening to this week's episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this content and are looking to dive deeper into the support that the Kind Parenting Company offers parents and caregivers, you will love the range of programs we have available. The range includes online programs for supporting baby and toddler sleep, most suitable for babies aged 0 to 24 months, and also Toddler Life, which is a guide for those raising children aged 2 to 4 years. Each program comes with access to video and audio files, as well as the opportunity to join the community forums. Podcast listeners receive 20% off all programs. Simply visit the Kind Parenting Company website and use the code KPCPODCAST20, that's KPCPODCAST20, at checkout. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.